Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. We are so glad that you're joining us this morning. If you're online, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We continue our series, The Twelve, as we look at various happenings of the Twelve Disciples. And this morning, specifically, we are looking at the rock. We are looking at the rock. We're looking at Peter. Now, if there was a head disciple, a leader of the pack, it would have been Simon, who Jesus gave the name Peter. Peter was bold, he was unapologetic, he was unwavering, Uh, that is until he was, and we'll talk about that, Uh, but he was also moldable and correctable. He took Jesus' instruction to heart and changed course when he was led to do so. He was also one of the very first to understand who Jesus truly was, and that was a special gift. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 to begin. We're going to read verses 13 through 19, and then we'll kind of hop around and look at different uh, stories that involve Peter. But starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now at this moment, as we kind of read through this uh, exchange between Jesus and his disciples, they're together without a crowd. And the reason that they're together without a crowd is because they're just now entering this region of Caesarea Philippi. It's about 30 miles north, so to speak, of the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of the region that they had just come from. And Jesus took advantage of this moment where he was just with his disciples to ask a very, very important conversation or question and have a, a personal conversation. Now, the topic of discussion was his true identity, and the reason is pretty important, okay? The reason's pretty important. It's because each of us must know the true identity of Jesus if we seek to follow him faithfully. If we really want to follow Jesus and do so faithfully, if we really want to obey the word of God and, and, and be in line with his teachings and, and how we should live our life, how he thinks we should live our life, we have to know the real Jesus, we have to know the real God. Now, there's a, an epidemic, I believe, in our world where um, we all are granted our uh, opinion as fact, right? The, Jesus, to me, is, and then you could say, well, Jesus, to me, is, and everybody in here could say, Jesus, to me, is, and we're just all supposed to kind of take that as fact. Well, Jesus is this to me, but he's that to them, and You know, things can be whatever you want it to be, and it's not exactly how things work when it comes to God. There is truth, and there is falsehood, and if we want to be aligned with truth, then we have to know exactly who Jesus is. And at first, he asked them a question. He says, who do the people say I am? And all the answers are very flattering, right? There's some say a prophet, and some say Elijah, and some say John the Baptist, and others have said Jeremiah. All good company, like nothing to really be offended at, but all not who Jesus is, right? 
And so then he goes on and he says, okay, well, that's who they think I am based on what they've heard and the teachings that I've delivered and being around me. What do you, you disciples who have been with me every step of the way, who live life with me, who are there with me daily, who do you say I am? And that's when Peter takes a moment to be a leader and answer. And he says, you are Christos, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ, by definition, the Christ can only be one thing, the Messiah. The Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah that the Jewish people were, were, were holding out hope for, right? And, and Peter understands. And from that we learn this, to that to truly know Christ is to be blessed. And we know that because Jesus says as much. He says as much. He goes on to tell Peter that, Peter, you are blessed because you have been revealed this information. This information has been revealed to you by my Father. By my Father. Peter's knowledge of Christ is intimate. It's not just facts. You see, there's a, there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody, right? Like I can tell you that uh, Patrick LaVon Mahomes II is the greatest quarterback of all time. I can tell you that he's from Tyler, Texas. I can tell you that he's married to his wife, Brittany. He's got two kids, Sterling and Bronze. I can tell you that uh, he, he's extremely handsome and buff. I can give you all these different facts. He owns like 30 different Whataburgers. Uh, I, I mean, I can just spout stuff off. Now, that's knowing about him, okay? Why a grown man would have that information about another grown man. I can't really explain to you. I'm not saying that the relationship is healthy, you know, the relationship that doesn't exist, despite Winifred's belief. She thinks we're friends. Uh, but I know about him. I can tell you things about him. I can tell you where he played college football. I can tell you different stats. I can give you all this information, but I don't know him. I haven't lived life with him. We aren't friends, even if I want to be right? So people can know about Jesus. They can deliver facts about Jesus. They can tell you where he was born, and they can tell you how he died, and they can tell you that he rose again, and they can tell you all of these different factual pieces of information, but you can know these things and still not know him. You can know these things and still not have a relationship with him, but that was not Peter. That was not Peter. And then Jesus blesses Simon Barjona, literally son of Jonah, right? And there's maybe some other connotations there, but to a greater degree, he changes his name. He says, you are Peter. The Greek Petros, meaning rock. The Aramaic Cephas, same meaning, rock, right? You are rock. Rock is what? Foundational. It's immovable. It's solid. It's sturdy. It's firm. You are rock and on this rock, I will build my church. If we look at Matthew 7, 24 through 27, um, as Jesus is continuing to teach in that, pat, in that chapter and in that moment, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus is telling everyone, his disciples and those who follow after him, that Peter is my rock. He is my firm foundation. On his back, I will build my church. He is blessed. He is blessed. But by no means does that mean that Peter is perfect. By no means does it mean that Peter is perfect. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples about his impending death. We kind of covered part of this last week, right? And he basically admits or, or, or reveals to all of his disciples that even though you have been committed to me, even though you've been living life with me, even though you have been with me every single day, when the time comes, you all will disperse. You'll abandon me. You'll leave me. His exact words in 26, uh, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they fall away. Can you just see this, by the way? Peter, here's 11. He's pointing at him. Though they're going to fall away. I would never. Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Can you hear how incredulous he is? How just filled with pride he is? These knuckleheads are going to abandon you, Jesus, but I won't. It's me and you, Jesus. Remember, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. I'm here. And then Jesus tells him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, Peter's hurt. Peter's angry. Peter's a fighter. And Peter doesn't think that this is going to happen. So he wants to make that clear. He would never, ever turn his back on Jesus. But if you know the historical account from Scripture, Jesus' words are exactly what comes to pass. By the time the rooster crows, Peter has denied him three times. And in the story, if you remember, it says after the third denial, the rooster crows and he runs weeping in shame, knowing that he went against his word, knowing that he failed the Christ, knowing that he failed his friend. He's ashamed. He's ashamed. Peter was the rock. He was the rock. But Peter was also far from perfect. He loved the Lord. He loved the church. He dedicated himself to the mission of Christ. And still, he denied him three times. Still, he denied him three times. You see, it, it would seem that it's possible to be both foundational and faltering. You can be both foundational and you can falter. You can mess up. You can screw up. That doesn't mean that you are to be thrown out with the bathwater, right? It doesn't mean that your mistake mars you for the rest of all history. We are blessed to be able to get to experience grace. Yet again, we see that perfection is not a precondition for service. 
right? Perfection is not a precondition for you to serve the Lord. More so even than that, we see that Jesus will not only love us through imperfection, right? Through our imperfections will he love us, but he will also love us through the imperfection, to the other side of the imperfection. In John 21, there's an account of Jesus with his disciples. This is post-resurrection, right? This is, he's already been nailed to the cross. He's died. Three days have passed. He has risen. He goes ahead of them to Galilee, just like he said he would. And he, he's waiting for his disciples there. And, and Peter is there. Peter's there amongst the group. And I can imagine Peter normally being the leader, normally being kind of the, the front of the operation behind Jesus, so to speak. He, he's probably real silent. Don't you think he would be? I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you exactly, but I'm imagining that Peter, pretty quiet, pretty subdued, pretty laid back. I doubt that there's much eye contact happening. It's probably one of those things where like, he's eating every now and then he glances up and he glances down real quick because he doesn't want Jesus to look at him. We've all kind of been in a situation like that. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And I can imagine, too, that Jesus, as he's eating, he, they finish, and he doesn't even necessarily look at Peter. He just says it out for everybody to hear. It says, Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus instructed him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, or, yep, do you love me? Peter grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him yet again, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will, be you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, there's a lot of things going on in this passage that I find to be poetic and also beautiful and also um, maybe even a tad bit depressing, right? But earlier... We saw Peter's promise, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'm not abandoning you. In the very last line of the passage we read, we're told, Peter's told, Peter understands that he's going to experience a similar death, that someone will dress him and he will have his hands stretched wide. See, Peter experienced crucifixion as well. But before we even get to that point, we see the love of, and the grace that is overflowing from Christ. You see, Peter denied publicly Jesus three times. And in this passage, three times, Peter was given the opportunity to publicly profess his love for the Lord. Each one, almost as if it's wiping away the transgression of his previous denial. Jesus, in this moment, reinstates Peter to his position. At no time, at no time was Peter, in Christ's mind, ever cast away. At no time 
was Peter in Christ's mind, not the rock. He was the rock. He was to be the rock. Even in spite of his sin, even in spite of his failures, he was to be used by the living God. Christ makes it so clear to us that he is not interested in past failures, only interested in preventing future ones. And while we get to witness this restoration of Peter, what we see is that through repentance, we are shown grace. And with grace, a calling to follow. There's an old hymn. I used to sing it in church when I was young, and I'll sing a little bit of it to you today. Uh, I've been yelling for like 10 weeks at football practice, and my voice is not what it usually is, but it goes like this. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. He's calling you today. He's calling you today. In spite of your sin, in spite of your failures, in spite of the things that you think would disqualify, disqualify you from following him, from working on his behalf, he desires you. He loves you. Grace is available to you. He is calling you, you specifically home. With arms stretched wide that were nailed to a cross, when he got off that cross, he kept his arms in the same position. Come home, ready to embrace you. What is Jesus calling you today? Will you answer that call? Is it time for you to come home? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. And Lord, I just thank you that you are a God of grace. God, I know that I can personally look at my story and time and time again, I see failure, but time and time again, I see that you picked me back up. That you forgave me when you didn't have to, that you forgave me when I certainly didn't deserve it. Lord, I am amongst those who sent you to the cross. Your punishment, your pain, your purpose, what you accomplished on that cross had to take place because of the way that I have chosen at times to live my life. And I am far from perfect, and I know that I won't ever be, but God, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to follow. And sometimes, Lord, I'm weary. And sometimes I'm just exhausted because I feel like I have to continue to battle and battle and battle. 
But through that fight, you've always been by my side. Every single step of the way, you have been by my side. And I know that that relationship, that partnership is available to everyone in this room. And God, if there's somebody in this room that does not have that relationship with you, that has not committed themselves to Jesus Christ, that has not said that I will make you my personal Lord and Savior, that I will follow you, that I will listen, that I will do, that I will seek good, that I will turn over the reins of my life and let you have complete control. If there's somebody in this room that hasn't done that, Lord, I pray that you convict them this morning, that you pull them up out of their seat, that you send them down these aisles, that you have them pray with me, that we invite you into their life as their personal Lord and Savior. Because God, it is that simple. It is that simple. You have made it so. If we will admit, if we will believe, if we will confess then you will save. You will save. Lord, may our journey start today. If there's somebody in this room that needs to, to just recommit themselves, that really needs to, to rethink the way that they're choosing to live life, that they need to really, from this moment forward, say that God will be in control of my day today. God, send them on up. Send them on up. Let's have a revival in this building this morning. Let's bring death to life. You have the power to do that. And we could never repay you. And you don't ask us to. As we continue to worship, Lord, be with each and every person in this room today. Be with each and every person that's watching on live stream today. Be with each and every person who couldn't make it here today, God, for whatever the reason. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Stand with us. Let's worship. Let's worship. This is a time of prayer. This is a time of reflection. This is a time for you to make the decisions that you need to make, whatever those decisions may be.